We're also having great conversations with Temple Grandin. Temple has been a great advocate of this process. And how do we make it so that those animals feel great every day? I mean, the sustainability numbers are fabulous. If we can have a 90% improvement of, of lambs and another 25% because we're three times every two years right now, by the mere nature of that, we've cut our sustainability carbon footprint in half. It's time for conversations about our food and how it's grown on Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. I've never heard more talk about producing lamb than I've been hearing recently. I I think it's a good sign, and, and maybe in part, my guest today has had something to do with that because he's the president CEO of Superior Farms, which is a lamb processing plant, one that's been around for about 60 years. I have an interesting story to tell. We're going to tell that story today because it goes beyond just the processing of lamb. But I want to welcome Rick Stott to Farm to Table Talk. Hey, Rick, welcome. Hey, thanks so much, Roger, for having me. I'm excited to be with you. Well, uh, let's start, Rick, talking about Superior Farms. Explain to people, even though your name is Superior Farms, when I have to talk about you, I think in terms of a a packing plant or the place that is processing lamb, because that's how I've known you. And through thick and thin, Superior's been in the business for 60 years in a volatile industry where there's been a lot of changes and new people coming in and many that have failed, that have dropped by the wayside. And Superior is not only still hanging in there, still standing, but doing well, broadening and getting into some new areas. So introduce yourself or introduce Superior Farms, if you would. You bet. Yeah. yeah. As, as you said, we've been around for almost 60 years. One of the unique things about Superior Farms, which is part of our success, is that we are an ESOP, which means that it's 100% owned by all the employees. So I often say that I have 475 bosses. And, uh, and when I walk around the plants, they treat me as such. They demand certain things. They want to know what's going on with the company. They want to know, you know, why isn't this hose fixed because we're wasting oil on the floor or whatever. And, uh, and they expect me to take care of it because it's their company. They are very proud of it. And so as a result of that, we have low turnover rate. We have high level commitment and we try to really communicate the purpose of everybody's job and the importance of that. And so uh, how, how their job relates to the consumer and what eats the product. So we have plants in Dixon, California and Denver, Colorado. We have facilities in Chicago, Boston, um, and uh, a pet treat plant in Iowa. Uh, we also have partnerships in Seattle, San Antonio, Sacramento. Uh, we have uh, distribution facilities in both Boston and LA. Um, and we distribute to uh, well over a dozen countries around the world. Uh, and uh, throughout the United States, some of the largest uh, retailers are our customers. We're thrilled to have great partners as customers and amazing how committed they are to American lamb. We are thrilled with their commitment. Uh, sometimes we don't make it easy to be our customer, but they stick with it. And I, I think their consumers love American lamb because of its eating uh, qualities compared to import. And um, in today's world, uh, import uh, meat 
uh, sheep, uh, lamb meat is about 60% of the market in the consumer market. I think the beautiful thing about lamb today is that we're seeing a growth in consumer acceptance. For decades, it's been a lackluster protein in the United States for a lot of cultural reasons. But now we're seeing in the COVID era, we, era, we saw 30% growth, the fastest percentage growth of any protein over the COVID area, era. And part of that is because people ate at home and they got tired of hamburger helper and you know chicken. And they looked on the shelf and particularly when the shelves were clean, oftentimes lamb was still there. So they said, what the heck, let's just try it. And what we found with our retailers that had the frequent buyer cards, they said with shock, not only are they buying it for the first time, but they're coming back time and time again. And because they, consumers in the COVID area, expanded their eating uh, menus on a weekly basis from about eight meals to about 12. And so we got the benefit of them wanting to diversify their eating. And lamb is so capable of having different types of meals with lamb, um, ethnic meals and, and, and traditional meals, those kinds of things, uh, particularly, particularly resonating with the younger folks. So those are under 35. Um, I know my kids are all under that age and I go to their houses and they have a diversity of food that they eat um, compared to what my normal macaroni and cheese and a steak occasionally and roast beef and potatoes, right? Pretty boring at my house. But for them, it's always something unique and lamb fits really well into that diversity. So we're excited. I mean, that's that's kind of severe farms in a nutshell. Well, uh and I think that the other thing that's happening, in addition to the increasing demand, or maybe even a response to the increasing demand, I'm running into more and more people that are wanting to grow race sheep, too. And there are people that are hearing about regenerative agriculture and sustainability. And if you look at, at programs, you know, that like the Savory Institute and others have of maximizing what we can do with, with grasslands and, and grazing, I, I just see it all over the country that people are saying, gee, I think sheep might work here. And they're trying now as they, as this happens, it's always been a challenge because it's a relatively small industry is finding places to process the sheep. Uh, and in, in your case, um, how many, how many farms might on ranches uh, might be going through superior plants to have that their sheep are processed? Yeah, we have about a thousand producers uh, that that bring sheep into our to, through our facility and our production system. We we go as far east as Iowa, um, and we have buying stations there uh, that that consolidate loads, so we have good freight. You know, freight rates big deal today, and and always, but uh, particularly in the ability to be able to gather groups that can fit put on a truck efficiently, and so we have buying stations that gather consolidate uh, these lambs from producers, big and small. Uh, and our, our traditional, uh, obviously our traditional production system is out of larger ranchers in the West. But to your point, Roger, and that's a great point, we're seeing a massive growth, uh, I'm going to say east of the Mississippi, of producers that are getting into the business, into the sheep production, because they're relatively inexpensive, very diverse, ability to be able to, to go into different types of pasture lands and different forages and be very productive. And what we're seeing is that 
the growth in the uh, smaller packing plants east of the Mississippi has been amazing to see how they've grown in quantity. And there hasn't any been big plants, but it's just a whole bunch of growth in little plants. Somebody that's going to process 15 a week now is processing 30 a week. And there's hundreds and hundreds of these plants spread throughout the East. And there's, there's just a growing demand for lamb. And that's a place where the growth is obvious and, uh, and, and significant. Now, at one stage, there were some sort of programs I think you might have had that uh, uh, allowed some of the ranchers to be able to custom process uh, within your plant when they had a direct relationship with with a, a local food co-op or something like that. Are those opportunities still existing? They are. You know, one of the things that obviously we run, you know, a, a relatively big plant, and so economies of scale is important. So historically, we've taken one or two animals in and processed them and handled them. We found that to be extremely inefficient and extremely expensive. And so we have some minimums now, uh, but we do do a fair amount of custom processing for for programs that go to Whole Foods, go to farmers markets, go to throughout the Bay Area. Um, and, and it seems odd when you talk to other protein people that we're actually processing for our competitors because they go in and compete for the same business from a consumer standpoint. But we look at it a little different way is that particularly with lamb, when the average consumption in the United States is about 1.4 pounds per year per person, um, is that the more we can get great lamb into people's palates, into people's mouths, that's just going to grow the overall market. And, you know, a rising tide floats all ships. And we think that that's really true, uh, that, a lot of these folks can get to places where we don't really ideally have access to uh, for a lot of reasons. You know, Rick, I found it interesting. You made a comment about these small processing plants, and it sounded like you're thinking that was that's good news that some of these small plants are getting established around the country. And they actually have some USDA grant money available, too, and and states have some grant money that's trying to get these small plants is it possible for you to have a complementary relationship? I mean, in a, in a way, like you say, they're competitors, but on the, the other side, is it that they're taking care of some, some uh, small operations that are pretty difficult for you to service? Yeah, no, absolutely right, Roger. That's something that we've certainly had conversations with. We, we spoke with a, a couple of folks out of Ohio, uh, a, a young uh, management team in a, in a plant that's beautiful plant, and they want to expand their market. And so can they provide us a unique lamb from Ohio into Chicago, into our distribution center in Chicago for customers in Chicago? Can they expand their business? Can we provide it, you know, have a new supply channel that's unique? Um, it's a win-win, uh, absolutely. And so those things, I think, if we're open for those ideas, if we're, you know, if we're out of the traditional way of looking at packing plants, uh, I think we've got to do that in our industry. We've got to be nimble. We've got to be diverse. We've got to be flexible in how we look at these things. And I think there's a tremendous power and, and ability to be able to do that. Yeah, I think that the opportunity is there. Well, that raises another issue for me, too, and that is that in addition to having fresh lamb, are you able to supply uh, frozen product as well? Some. Uh, we try to stay away from that. That's just a risk. Um uh, and and we we can we can take frozen product and, and we can process it in a way that nobody would tell the difference. I mean, the quality is still there. The way we can 
can freeze it and stuff. And that's certainly a, a potential, but, um, you know, it takes inventory value, right? You got to you have, have to have capital applied to that inventory. So if we can sell a fresh product, that's probably better. Uh, but certainly we've got opportunities and we do have programs that are frozen programs. Absolutely. Well, that kind of leads us to the other conversation I want to put on the table too, because one of the challenges with with lamb in particular, once you've overcome the demand, and the demand is definitely increasing, the interest in growing is decreasing, but there's a seasonality to to sheep that's more pronounced uh, when you there are. This is kind of hard to explain, but uh, but there are times that are uh, more likely to be able to breed many of the breeds of sheep and to be able to have fresh lamb. And when the lamb is is fresh in the peak condition off of mother's milk and grasses, um, you want to get them to to market as as quick as you can. And and that kind of turns the corner into some things you were touching with a a new program, which I found really interesting, called the the Sheep Discovery Center. Um, can you explain what that is and what your role is with that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're really excited about this project. Uh, and to your point, you know, 80% of the lambs in the United States are born in four months of the year. And so it, it's very expensive to have to stretch those out or accelerate them or freeze product if you have to. To get because because consumers expect you know fifty two weeks a year of delivery of product so you know that relate and also with the inefficiency of of the land production in the United States today in the United States the average you produces one point one lamb per year and so all you know the the sheep themselves are built to have twins I mean they're genetically built to have twins and so we've got a ninety percent inefficiency on top of that we the sheep have the ability to be able to lamb three times every two years. Their, their cycle is about eight months uh, between breeding and weaning is about eight months. So you could have three productions in two years. Again, about a 25% inefficiency that exists within those ewes. So about two years ago, our producer advisory board, which is a group of really thought leaders of the industry that we that we have, and they're on this board for about three years and then they rotate off. They came to us and in one of our little get togethers, they said, you know, we need to fix these problems because it's causing a tremendous cost to our industry, tremendous inefficiency to our industry. And so we need to we need to figure out they didn't say we they said you (laughs) you need to figure out how to fix it. And so our management team went to work and we and we started developing this plan and that led it to the Sheep Discovery Center. Last week, we had a ribbon cutting of this of the center. It's in Nephi, Utah. It's 123 acres and about 280,000 square feet of turkey barns. And we are converting those to lamb sheds, to lambing sheds, to feeding sheds, to that. And what we want to do is converge four key technologies and also converging what ranchers do really well, which is regenerative grazing and those kinds of things, combine the resources that they have with this concept, putting them together, and really taking the inefficiencies out of the production system. And so it really revolves around four key technologies that we're converting. The first one is the Flock 54 technology that we've developed over the last four years. This is a world-leading genomic SNP chip that allows us to take a small uh, organic sample, uh, ear or blood or something like that, from a lamb and identify 50 different characteristics when it's born. 
and including parentage testing, including the potential of having twins when they're mature, uh, disease resistance uh, genes that we can say this one is more going to be more resistant to foot rot or uh, or OPP or other diseases that that shorten the life of of ewes and and rams, and so we can we can identify those those babies, those lambs that have the stellar genetics that we want to keep. So now we can basically in one generation change the flock structure and the genetic strength of that flock by the flock 54 technology. So that's the first technology. Same technology is the idea. And this has been around forever. It hasn't been used very much in the sheep industry. We're combining that with the conversion of a dairy data management system. The dairy guys have been, you know, done a tremendous job at data management. And if you think about where the, if you look at every protein, the chicken protein, the, 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 the uh, dairy guys, the pork for the last, from 1990 to date, they've improved their productivity per animal by well over 60%. Mm -hmm. In the sheep industry, we are still producing 1.1 lamb per use since 1990. So we haven't had any of those kind of improvements in efficiencies. And if you talk to those people that have been in the forefront of that, they all say data is the number one thing. That's how they did it. Now you can argue about, you know, confined feeding and all that other stuff. We're going to take the best of what they've developed over the last 30 or 40 years and really apply it to the sheep discovery center. So that's what we're the EID and the database. That's why we're converting a dairy database to a sheep because the sheep industry doesn't have that. The third one is really accelerated lambing, and that's year-round lambing. To your point earlier, it's four having having three three breeding seasons in two years, and we're doing that with lights, basically, to all natural, uh, completely natural process where we basically fake out the ewe that it's going to become fall, and that sets sends them into heat, and we do that through these lights, and then we have these really high tech lights from Stellar uh, lighting system that are Wi-Fi nodes, basically, in each individual light. Highly efficient uh, LEDs that will be very energy saving. So from a sustainability standpoint, a phenomenal technology that we'll be able to build on. And then the fourth one is really the regenerative grazing concept in bringing the resources that come from the ranches and there's three months in the middle of this eight-month process that these ewes don't need to have, uh, you know, high nutritional uh, impact. So there are three different times that, that ewes need to be fed really well. One is in the breeding, one is right before their lambing and during the milking process. So we want to be able to manage them really well. We want to have them protected. Uh, we want the lambs to be protected. Uh, in those periods of time, but there are three months in the middle that we can send them and do regenerative grazing uh, to our producer partners. The Sheep Discovery Center is is really a partnership between uh, producer partners. We have 10 producer partners from six states that have contributed use as their capital contributions to this facility. I can tell you, Roger, what's really interesting to me is that every one of these 10 producers, the reason why they're involved in it is they're hoping to get financial rewards. Obviously, anybody invests anything in it wants financial return. But their primary driving factor of this thing is that they want to be at on the front row of these innovations, 
on this convergence of these technologies and be able to see how they can apply this stuff to their own ranches, to their own farms, to be able to improve their productivity in their operations. And that's the reason why they believe that this is going to be a transformational opportunity for the entire industry. And that's really the goal because Superior Farms, we could have gone out and bought use, no problem. But but we wanted to get producer partners to provide first their intelligence. These are the top, top producers in the country. Um, and they bring a tremendous amount of knowledge and they're willing to share it. So we can get a jump start. That's why we've been able to light this thing up in virtually three months. Um, and, and then on the flip side of that, uh, I can tell you one of our producer partners, been in the business for decades, came and saw our unique watering system inside our cribs and our bonding pens and said, holy, I, I, I'm going to take that back to my own operation and I'm going to apply it there. So they're already getting back innovative new ideas to take back to their own. And that's really the beauty of this thing is the ability for, for the industry to improve, to learn, and to really be a foundation for growth and for the future of the American lamb industry. Well, that's really interesting. Now let's unpack a couple of these things. So you went back and you started off with uh, the DNA knowledge. Now people have kept track of how many lambs, you know, you've been having and have tried to select from the ones that were having twins or triplets or, or whatever for forever. Uh, but I get it that having that data uh, to be able to manage it differently. But even though you're you're checking the DNA, you're not trying to modify the DNA. Is that right? That, that's right. Exactly. It's really it's really just reading the DNA and reading the paradigm. So an interesting kind of that we don't. One of the things that we've discovered is about 60% of the twins groups out of a U are actually sired by two different rams. Hmm. So you think about that. What that means is that if you have a lamb that's going to grow to 70 pounds by the time it's weaned and another lamb that grows to 50 pounds by the time it's weaned, you always wonder, well, why out of the same U, in theory, out of the same ram, why would you have such a diversion? Of performance. Well, the reality is that those are probably sired from two different rams. So which ram is doing the job, right? And so all of a sudden you have the ability to be able to say, well, that 50 pound lamb is not lamb that I'm going to keep in my herd. Okay. And so you have that decision when they're 50 pounds, not when they're 200 pounds and they're breeding and they're not producing the right. And you spent two and a half years getting them up to that level, spending all that money on feed and have an underperformer. And so as, we, as we've gone through and done these trials with the idea, what we're finding is a couple of things. One is that in theory, what you say is true, but the reality is that's not true in that you ask producers in general, and there's a handful of guys that are doing exactly what you're saying. They're keeping track of records, twins, you know, weaning weights, all of that stuff, very detailed, but but it's not very many. It's a couple handful that I've come across, um, it, certainly in the West. I'm like, in the East, you got some great groups like Pipestone and different groups that are doing a great job at that. But but what you ask them, well, why do you keep that you? And they say, well, the, they look good. It's the way my grandpappy did yeah. it, right? Yeah. And is there any data? No, I just know that that one is, is a doer, right? But what we found with these trials with EID and Flock 54 with parentage testing is that about 20% of the ewes 
are underperformers in some form or fashion. And if you eliminate that bottom 20%, your profitability actually triples because the bottom 20% costs you that you have to use up another 15% of the profitable use to break even. So you're not just losing 20%, you're losing 35% of your total profitability right out of the gate. And, and all you're doing is breaking even on the first 35%. You, you know, that, that, that's really, really fascinating. And just when you think that that wouldn't be a frontier, like I said, because I know people have been keeping track of, of data, but it, it makes sense. So what you're, what you're describing now, let me skip on to, to this other one and the seasonality issue, because again, a lot of people don't realize how much that's an issue with lamb. And you pointed out the, the high percentage of lambs that are, are really born within four month period of time, and then try to have them hit market weights at at a at a, at a good time to be able to get into into the market and not be too fat or too thin and so forth is all really really challenging. But I'm I'm intrigued with this idea of extending spring, and and it, I I know like in the strawberry industry. Um, the production area that produces the most fresh strawberries is around the Watsonville, California area, yep. where it's pretty much always April. <laughs> it, so they true. end up having like six months of April. Very true. And yeah. so the the berries and the growth of the berries are affected. Now it goes up and down the state and they go to different areas for production in Southern California and then on down to Baja, Mexico too. Yeah. But it's very, very seasonal. and. So what you're able to do with lights, um, that's intriguing, but it immediately, uh, you know, raises the question, well, does that mean that they're going to be in confinement or is there some sort of uh, hybrid system? Because to be able to get the use into uh, facilities where you can manipulate the lights, it means you have to be taking them out of the range and out of the pastures to be able to spending a certain amount of time in buildings. And that would make some people nervous, I think, Rick. Yeah, no, absolutely. And we've had lots of questions about that. And we're really focused on the five freedoms of animal welfare. Um, you know, and those five freedoms are really about giving that you, those rams, those lambs, the best day of their life every single day. And what that means is that, you know, in, in out in the West, uh, you know, predators take between 10 and 20% of the lambs every year. So can we protect the baby lambs from predators? save their lives for 10 or 20% of them, save their lives. Well, to do that, we've got to have them in barns. We have them in, have to have them in fairly, you know, managed pastures. And so all of our barns have open pastures. They have free will to go in and out of that barn. And then, like I mentioned before, the opportunity to meld between the rancher's production of regenerative grazing and move those lambs out of the sheep discovery center into those opportunities to graze freely for periods of time is optimizing both worlds, optimizing where we can provide them the very best nutrition when they really need to have it, and then have the absolute freedom and the cost efficiencies, of course, to go out into pastures and graze on pastures as well. So it really is taking the best of all worlds and learning from other proteins of what doesn't work, and then really putting them all together. And that's really the opportunity. And so that we can have them in buildings with these lights so that we can fake them out and get them bred in, you know, February and not always in the fall 
like traditionally most of them are. And so uh, that's really where the opportunity is, is to, is to really optimize. And we're in its infancy. I mean, we're going to learn a lot. Our first set of use are literally this week are being bred off season um, and counter cyclical. They've, they had their lambs in January. Now they're ready to be rebred. And so we'll see how it goes. And, you know, one of the sayings we have at Superior Farms is to fail often, fail fast and fail forward. And and we're going to do a lot of failures. And that's why this is called the sheep discovery center is because we're going to discover a ton of things about how we can do this better each and every year and each and every cycle. And, uh, you know, that's, that's part of the fun. Well, it's an interesting frontier. And I I think at the one hand, people have been used to thinking that there was either this or that there was either confinement that we called it, or there was a free range. And that, um, that if in fact you can make the case that there is a way to use facilities to be able to keep the lambs alive and to be able to breed out of season and still keep the regenerative, uh, that feels like a hybrid mix that if you can pull it off, you've really accomplished something. Yeah, I think it, it does. And, it, you know, I mean, you're talking about extending this to increasing the productivity of a U. Can you, I mean, the sustainability numbers are fabulous. If we can have a 90% improvement of, of lambs, and another 25% because we're three times every two years right now, by the mere nature of that, we've cut our sustainability carbon footprint in half compared to what traditionally we've been doing in the United States. From a you know from an animal welfare, how do we keep them alive? How do we protect them from diseases? The Flock 54 technology allows us to identify those disease-resistant animals so that we don't have to treat them with antibiotics and and drugs and different things. And so it actually gives us far more flexibility, better health, better sustainability. It's kind of an all win kind of a deal. Now, have we figured it all out? Absolutely not. All of these technologies that I talked about are being used around the world today. Uh, and so we're not, we're not doing anything extremely unique per se. What we are doing unique uh, is really the convergence of all of these things together in one place. That's the unique thing. You know, at a time you're you're sailing off and trying into into these different areas, and I understand what you're saying about the potential of them. But there also has to be some people that say, "Well, wait a minute. Just uh, we've heard disarming things about uh, some of the poultry industry uh, practices, the CAFOs, the combined animal feeding operations, and some of the pork operations, uh, in, including use of gestation crates and so forth." That I'm wondering how many people are saying. Well, let's just be sure you don't go too far or let's learn the lessons of some of these other industries that are getting pushback for being more extreme. So do you feel a a little extra pressure to find that sweet spot that is the utilization with making sure you learn the lessons of others and say we haven't taken a step too far? No, that's you know, you're absolutely right, Roger. We've had lots of discussions with our producer partners and their wives, to, to put it bluntly, uh, about the importance of animal welfare, importance of these five freedoms. Uh, and, and we're also having great conversations with Temple Grandin. Uh, Temple has been a great advocate of this process. And how do we make it so that so that those, those animals feel great every day? Uh, and so we're trying to combine all of this stuff together uh, and really make, literally, like I said, make every day a perfect day for each animal. Uh, and whether they're grazing and regenerative grazing on our producer partner's place or in the barns getting fed well and protected from predators, 
um, that we optimize their life and and make them so that they they can you know have great physical well being um, and and mental well being uh, in these animals, and that's a critically important point. And I think the other part that that we're definitely considering and, and really in, in the forefront as well as the people. How do we make our people? Because as an employee-owned company, we it's all about people at the end of the day. If we have great people there, then they're going to do great things for the animal. And so how do we make their jobs easier? How do we help them do their job better? How do we make them and help them understand the power of what we're trying to do and so we've spent, and the beautiful thing is that our team at the Sheet Discovery Center are, are all under 35 years old. We haven't taken seasoned veterans because we don't want to have to retrain them. We're bringing people that have experience, but are really innovative thought, kind of challenging the paradigm, so to speak, and allows us to really think about things in new and different ways. And, uh, and half of the team right now, and this is a small team at the moment, but half of our team their reason why they're working there is because they want to have a sheep operation in the future. So they want to learn what to do. And, and again, what we're de- designing here is the ability to be able to have young producers get into this industry, be highly efficient, highly effective at what they're doing and not have to have 5,000 acres to do it on. Now we'll be able to have it in a, in a place and a way that people can afford to get into the sheep industry and replicate what we're doing at the Sheep Discovery Center across the country. So, Rick, I have been, just in recent weeks, I've been on some farms that, uh, one that has uh, about 400 ewes that didn't used to have any, Mm -hmm. Uh, another one that was an operation that they were in Silicon Valley, and then they came out, and now they've got 1,000 ewes, and another one that's got goats right now and trying to get into sheep. I'm seeing these, you know, coming up um, and not just here in California, but around what you're discovering with this program. What does it mean to them if they're, you know, why should they be of interest in, in how you're how this is going when they're not necessarily one of your first core group of producers? What does it mean to these new people that are either just getting their feet wet in sheep production or um, or hope to? Yeah. I mean, I think this is, a, again, a great opportunity. We, we've got the capital to be able to invest in this. The guy that has 400 use doesn't have the capital to try this stuff. They can't make mistakes. They can't fail on an annual basis, right? And so we're taking that and making that investment for the industry as a whole. That's really what we're we're doing here. And because we want a lot more of those 400 U producers. We want a lot more of those thousand head producers that are growing, are young, they're going to be in the industry for a long time. Uh, that's a vibrant industry when we can attract that kind of talent and that kind of capital to it. And that's certainly something that we need to stimulate in the industry. We need to bring it in. Uh, and this is one of the ways that we can help do that. Well, Rick, I'm really intrigued with what you're doing. I think it's uh, interesting. It's nice to see you frontier. I mean, you got one of the, the oldest livestock industry uh, by a long shot. And being able to kind of keep the traditions and what's best about what the regenerative practices that you can use with with sheep production and be able to utilize these new ideas and taking a different approach. Uh, You know, I think that a lot of people better pay close attention to what you're doing. And if they would like to pay closer attention, Rick, 
How do they find out uh, more about Superior Farms and your efforts with the Sheep Discovery Center? Well, of course, we have our, our, our website, superiorfarms.com. Uh, they can contact uh, myself. Uh, and, and, and we're, you know, we're open for tours. If people want to come by and visit, uh, we just, you know, get them hooked up with that. We think that's going to be of real interest, um, uh, for people to come and see it. I, I think there's something for everybody. I think we can all learn from each other. We learn from a lot of people that come and visit our producer partners, of course, uh, bring a tremendous amount of intelligence and knowledge to the, to the game. And, like I said, we're at the very beginning of this. We're we're in its infancy. It's still pretty rough around the edges, and uh, we're we're in the second breeding of of one set of lambs, uh, one set of ewes, and you know. And uh, anyway, so it's it's an exciting time, uh, and uh, you know we look forward to to working with uh, everybody to, to to make it even better. So, uh, so if I'm driving from California back to the Midwest, which I'll be doing in in a, in a couple of months again. Yeah, and I'm going across Interstate 80. Yep. How do I how do I get off 80 and get to where the Discovery Center is? Yeah, just hang a right at in Salt Lake. Hang a right on I-15 and head about it's an hour south of I-15. It's in Nephi, Utah. Hour south. Oh, actually, yeah. that's a, actually kind of a back way through Colorado too. You can get over to Grand yeah, Junction going that. That's route. right. You you can loop up around south and come back up to to Colorado that way as well. So I might have to swing that way, Rick. I'll give you a call. See if I'm in the neck of the woods. Yeah. Do that, Roger. We'd be more than happy to Jordan, Jordan, uh, who's our manager there. would be more than happy to give you a tour. And if I'm around uh, as well, but, uh, yeah, that it's, uh, it's, it's fun. It's a really, I mean, I can explain it all day long, Roger. I, I mean, I can, but until you're there until you see the, 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 the excitement in their eyes about what they're doing there, and how we're how we're putting these barns together, and how we're managing the, the lambs and the sheep and the and the ewes and the rams and all of that stuff, you really can't get a sense of how exciting this really is because it is just phenomenal. And uh, we've got interest of people from Hope, Arkansas to Minette, you know, uh, Missouri to uh, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and elsewhere. The people are already paying attention, so. It's going to be really a lot, really interesting. And we're going to fail a lot, as I said, but we're going to fail forward and uh, we're going to make it happen. Yeah, yeah that's going to be my new theme for my my podcast. Uh, fail a lot, but fail forward. But, uh, right. but you're yeah. you're helping us go forward, Rick. So Rick Stott of Superior Farms, uh, thanks for being on Farm to Table Talk. Thanks for having me, Roger. You've been listening to Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. If you like what you hear, go to farmtotabletalk.com and follow us. At-